0: that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here's our focus today. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You may be seated. So we finished these 12 principles today in regard to abiding and, and everything connected to fruit. And so we're going to quickly kind of walk through the first nine because um, I want to make sure that we kind of have all this together. So if you haven't been with us and you're a note taker, you better get your pen out quick because then we're going to zoom through these. And I can probably put these on the Facebook page later today. So we learn in John 15, 1 through 11 that first of all, abiding is commanded. We see that in 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10, where it is mentioned multiple times, and then we see it again in verse 16. And so this is not an option for Christ's followers. We are to abide and remain in Christ. Now let me remind us, as we begin to talk again about the word abiding, that there are three very unique aspects connected to abiding. One is salvation. We begin to abide in Jesus at salvation. We are placed in Him at salvation. He is in us. We are in Him, and that becomes our position. So abiding has everything to do with salvation. Secondly, abiding also has everything to do with our growing sanctification. So from this relationship that has begun, and we have, we have come to salvation, we now remain staying connected in this relationship to Him. And so the process of our growing in holiness and growing in sanctification also is connected to the word abiding. Lastly, and we talked about this last week, how we finished, that abiding also speaks strongly about the security of our salvation. Because we are in Him and we have been made a temple of the Holy Spirit, and He is in us, um, we are secure, our salvation is secure. And so we talked about those three, three things. And so in light of that, abiding is commanded. Second of all abiding means that we remain in fellowship so from salvation where we begin to abide in him and he in us we remain in fellowship by staying connected to him by reading the word by praying by fellowshipping and all of those things connected to the development of our relationship thirdly abiding results in bearing fruit jesus mentions the word fruit here eight times now there's a there's a progression. We've talked about them in these weeks. And so let me remind us about this progression. So Jesus speaks, first of all, that we would bear fruit. Then he says that we would bear more fruit. And what's the third one? Much fruit. So there's a process of growing in our sanctification where we bear fruit. We begin to know him more, begin to walk more, begin to practice our faith more. We bear more fruit. Then eventually we move to a place of maturity where we bear much fruit. And so abiding results in the bearing of fruit And that also means that abiding, the next principle was, is that abiding maintains our spiritual health. We cannot be spiritually healthy if we are not remaining in the word and remaining connected to Christ. And so you see that in the last part of verse 4. He says, unless unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So our spiritual health is connected to remaining and abiding in Christ. The fifth principle in regard to abiding is, is that abiding reminds us of his position, who he is, and it reminds us of our position. So for the second time, verse one and now in verse five, he says this I am the vine, you are the branches, you are not the branch you are not the vine, and I'm not the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches, and so we get our life from him. He is the absolute original source. In verse 1, when Christ says, I am the true vine, that word true in the Greek means this, I am the original, I am the one, I am the one that you're going to get your life with. And so we need to be reminded that He is the source always. We are never the source. The branches need to be connected to the vine. The sixth principle that Jesus teaches in verse 5 is, is abiding is an exercise of our will and moves us to a place of maturity. And what I meant by that, we talked about that um, a couple weeks ago, is is that God ultimately bears the fruit. He bears the fruit. But we are to agree with God and we are to walk with God by submitting. We fight the good fight. We take up our cross daily. We discipline our life by waking up, reading the Word. um, We pray. We gather together in community. And so we... Do things to place ourselves in line with submitting ourselves to walking in the truth of his commandments, which he blesses, and that moves us to a deeper place of maturity. And I go back to what I just said a while ago. Jesus speaks of maturity here fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And so, again, abiding moves us to this place of maturity. And then Jesus takes a break and he talks about Judas. You remember in John chapter 13, he has told them that they are clean. He says it again, and, and he's, but he says in 13, he says, But one of you is not. And then in 15, he says, All of you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And so he says, All of you are clean in regard to that. And so Judas is gone. Judas is the one that was unclean. And Judas is the branch who walked away and is cut off and is separated. And so he speaks there that those that don't abide, but they are in and around Christianity, maybe they come to church and they're okay with church, and we've talked about in these weeks, there are people like Judas who are okay to a certain point in regard to Christ, but they never come to Christ, and so they represent somebody who's in and around the faith, but they've never come into the faith and been rescued from their sin by Jesus. And so verse 6 is this, abiding is makes people ultimately of no use because they're not bearing fruit and following and then ultimately in the end at the judgment, they are cut off, they are separated um, from God. And then last week we looked at these things. Verse 7, abiding influences our prayer. And so in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We talked last week that Paul called the church at Colossians um, that group of people when he said listen let the word of god dwell in you richly and when the word of god is dwelling in us richly and we are according to what christ is saying here that my words are abiding in you here's what happens our and and, and we even went back last week to talk about in luke 11 where the, the disciples watched jesus pray and they said can you teach us to pray like that and he said okay i will here's how you pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name and so our prayers are grounded in the hallowing and awing and worshiping of God's name and so in that we we honor his name as we pray that our prayers would fall in line with who he is we also honor him by doing this by letting his words dwell richly in us and when we do that guess what our prayers become very less selfish and we begin to pray more in line with God's will and God's purposes. So when we pray, what we are asking for are things that God's heart is what? In line with, that God wants to bless. And so that's why Jesus says there, not pie in the sky language, but he says, when you do this, when my words are abiding in you and and you're hallowing my name, when you pray and when you ask things and your prayers are being conformed to the things that are in line with my will, you ask and I will answer. So great encouragement there. And then... We finished last week that abiding glorifies God. And so he says in verse 9 there, or verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So this abiding in Jesus is not some kind of quick fix. It's not like, okay, this week I'm going to abide in Jesus, and that's going to fix everything. Abiding in Jesus is a lifelong process. Now abide in Jesus this week. It will begin to address things in our lives. But the important thing for us is this, is that this is a lifelong relationship and it will require of us to abide lifelong, to continue to follow him. It's just like, and I'll put a little caveat with this, it's just like a marriage relationship. A marriage relationship through the years should grow sweeter and stronger. As, you, as issues come up, the, a couple talks through things, prays through things, gathers people around them. They process, they communicate, they remain committed to the relationship and the covenant that's there. And through the years, what eventually happens is you look back over those years, and they're sweet. There's a sweetness to connected to that. Our relationship with Christ is that way. Now, in this life, you know this. I know this, and so together we can agree about this. There are moments of this relationship with Christ where we're like, awesome, I'm experiencing Him. And then there's moments where you're like, eh, I'm just not so excited, I'm not as motivated. And it's not, it's not that He has moved and He has done something different. This abiding aspect of maintaining this fellowship with Christ is never an issue with Jesus. He is never going to move away. The issue is us. And so here's what I want to I challenge us with. I want to remind us of. In those days, we we're like, man, I feel like I've drifted. And I, I'm just not sensing the Lord. And, and, and there's an evaluation. We realize, I have moved. I have drifted. I am not abiding. I would encourage you, crawl back. Claw your way back. Hop back. Climb back. Run back, walk back, get back to Jesus. He is the true vine. And so get back to Him no matter what. Again, He is not going to move, but in our hearts, we want our heart to maintain connection with Him. So let's look at these last three principles. But before we do that, grab this piece of paper. It should have been on your chair if it's not somebody's thrown it on the floor so this week since jesus speaks so much about abiding and so much about fruit i went through the new testament and looked at the places that were applicable in regard to what does the fruit of christ look like in our lives what does the fruit of god look like and so there are some of y'all are blessed if you have 18 at the bottom you're the blessed ones if you have 17 you're unblessed um uh, I forgot to move my text box a little bit further down, and so the first batch I made just had 17. If you have 18, just feel privileged. Um, I want to walk through just a few of these for a moment to kind of show you what what the New Testament explains in regard to fruit. Um, the first one is, is from John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 8. The Pharisees have come to John's baptism, and he tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees, To bear fruit in keeping with repentance. One of the aspects of fruit in our life and walking with Christ is that there is a consistent repentance that happens when we sin, we come back to the Lord and we confess that sin. And so our repentance and the fruit of that is marked by repenting and making sure we are maintaining our relationship with Christ correctly. Look at number three. That our lives or other people's lives and our lives are known by the fruit. This is Jesus, Matthew chapter twelve thirty three. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And so we can see in regard to lives and the way that they're living, is this a good tree by lining itself up with the, with the character of Christ and the word of God? Or is this a bad tree? false teaching or blatant sin, whatever the case um, may be. Now go to verse 6, and again, there's a, a number of those. The sixth one is evangelism leads to the gathering of fruit for eternal life. There's this great text that we looked at a month or a little over a year ago. In John chapter 4, Jesus has come to a village. He meets this woman. Her life is transformed. They have this worship conversation. She goes back in town and goes back in town where she's an outcast and says, you've got to come out to the well. I met this guy today and he told me everything that I ever did and she found such freedom that her sin had now been exposed it had been forgiven and people are coming out and this villages are walking out with a woman to Jacob's well and listen to what Jesus says do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest and I know what he did here he tells them look Look down the road, look. This mass of people are coming out of the villages out to Jacob's well. And he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. Look at the people. See that the fields are white for harvest. Now listen to these words. Already the one who, is, who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. You know what's amazing right now? All over the planet today, Christians have gathered. The gospel's been proclaimed. And you know what God has done today all over the planet? He's borne fruit for the gospel. People have entered into the kingdom today. So all over, in every language, and tribes, in different places where the gospel's been proclaimed, seeds have been sown, and then some people have actually littered, literally come into the kingdom. And so fruit... Um, comes from evangelism and the gathering together of the fruit for eternal life. Go to number eleven there. So this is Paul in Ephesians five seven through ten, and he speaks about that the fruit of light is everything that is good and right and true. So let me read that. This is Paul writing in Ephesians five seven Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the world, so walk as children of the light. And then he then Paul writes for the fruit, the fruit, the manifestation, the the representation, the picture, the fruit of light is everything that is good and, and is right and is true. So the fruit of light is everything that is right and good and true. Look at number 14. A little bit in line with what we talked about Paul writing to the church in Colossae and to these believers. He says the gospel bears increasing fruit in the whole world and so when. Colossians Colossians 1.6, he says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Verse 16, God dis- God's discipline yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, you will find this hard to believe, but there was a point in time in my life where I was not such an angel. I got in trouble at school. For me, that was bad news. My father was a principal. So I grew up in a day and time. Some of you kids' eyes may get a little bit older, but you used to get in trouble at school in this country, and you go down the principal's office, and they'd give you a spanking on your bottom. You remember? Bend down, grab your ankles. Yeah. So I sometimes got in trouble at school, got spankings. My dad principals sick people back in the day sorry sorry Amy Weems but uh inventing my dad was ever in search of the best paddle to use so he had had some at home in the closet so on those days that I got in trouble at school and I got spanking I would come home and sometimes he would go you need a little extra now parents I don't know if they still say this or not but they used to when I was a kid this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. And one time I said to my dad, oh yeah, okay, turn around and bend over. Let's see. (laughs) Not very wise. Not very wise at all. Um, And so, discipline. Not ever an exciting thing to have happen. But when God disciplines us, it is one of the best things that can happen in our lives. So let me give evidence of that. This is Hebrews 12. This is number 16 on the sheet. God's discipline yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hebrews twelve ten and following. For they disciplined us, speaking of earthly fathers, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. For this reason, that we may share in his holiness. Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but listen to the result, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. One of the things that we need desperately in our lives is to share in His holiness. How do we share in His holiness? Well, the Bible makes it pretty clear that we share in His holiness best in suffering. By being forced to fall on our knees and to trust and to cry out to Him and ask Him to bring healing to our lives in whatever area that may come. Something that we haven't done, it's just natural that's happened or maybe something that's done, been done to us, whatever the case may be. But when those things happen, we share in His holiness and it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What a great description of fruit. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Look at number 17 there. The unblessed people, this is your last one. So the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that honor His name. This is Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him, let us continually, let us constantly do this, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And so one of the fruits is what we did today. We sang glory to His name. We honored His name. We are honoring Him now by listening to the words, and so in our heart we are speaking words as we listen to the truth that's being proclaimed, and so we speak with lips that exalt and honor His name. And lastly, the eighteenth one is in James three seventeen, and so if you don't have that one on your on your page, it's James three seventeen, and it's having the wisdom that comes from above leads to good fruit. This is what James wrote, but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit. So these things are important. We all need those things to be manifest in our life and those things come about by abiding and remaining in Jesus. So let's look at the last three today. Here's the 10th principle from Christ about abiding. Abiding keeps us in and aware of of God's love. Now I'm not talking about salvation, we don't go in and out of salvation, I'm talking about in and out of fellowship. So if we want to be alive and aware of God's love, abiding is the way in which this is going to take place. So look how Jesus des- describes this. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love as the father has loved me jesus speaks something here that should absolutely floor you and i this morning should cause us right now just to to lift our hands to lift our heart and to just glory in who he is listen to that incredible reality maybe one of the most profound things that could enter into our mind As much as the Father loved the Son, which you and I, by the way, can never comprehend how much the Father loved the Son, Jesus says, I love you, my people, that much. Not any less than that. I love you equal to as much as the Father loves me. I love you to that same amount. And I'm bewildered by that this morning. I am amazed by that this morning that we are loved in that way. Never did the Father's love for the Son ever waver. It is from eternity past. It will last all the way through eternity future. The Father loves the Son perfectly with no imperfections. And you and I are loved in the exact same way that the Father loved the Son. It is staggering. So Christ's followers are Loved with the eternal, infinite, and inexhaustible love of God. So Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Listen to this. So here's what you do you don't ever run away from that love, don't turn away from that love. You stay in that love, you remain in that love, you abide in that love, you remain, you stay, you continue in, you stay there. One of the great ways that we can say to the Lord that we get and understand the incredible love He has for us, though it's hard to comprehend that, is to love Him back. And when we love Him back, we are communicating to Him that we know and we get it that He loves us with an infinite, eternal, inexhaustible kind of love. His love for us opens our heart to remain in His love, to want to remain in His love, and to stay in His love. But we have an issue. So I want to show you the issue in Revelation chapter 2. Would you go to Revelation chapter 2? Hey, we love babies. Talk to me, baby. I'll talk back to you, okay? That's baby amen. That's what that is. Revelation 2. I want to show you an issue that we have. So there are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and some of them do really well, some of them have some issues, and Jesus addresses those issues. And one of the things that we can really struggle with at times is not keeping our love for Christ alive. And so look with me in Chapter Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church, that's to the pastor, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Listen to how he describes them. He affirms them here. I know your works. You toil in your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And have found them to be False. Here's another affirmation. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary in that task. But there is an issue in the church and it's verse 4. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first and if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. From its place, unless you repent. So let me just talk about this for a moment. Let's talk about what do we do when our love for Christ wanes and we're not abiding and we're not motivated to abide. What do we do? What's the process? What's the issue there? Now, this church at the end of the first century had two issues. From the outside, great pressure, false teaching, false ones. Coming in to try to divide the church. The church didn't tolerate the evil. They fought against the evil. He even closes in verse 6 that he hates the works of the Nicolaitans. Um, And so this church understood doctrine, they understood the principles and things that the, the scripture taught. But along the way, they had forgotten what they needed to do more than anything else. Now, hear this this is a great danger for a church like us, potentially, and other churches who are deeply steeped in making sure that we maintain good doctrine. This is about this, this, this word revelation here that's come to John. This book was written about 35 to 40 years after the founding of the church in Ephesus and the writing of this letter back to them by Paul. And so you've got second or third generation Christians who are a part of this church, and they've grown up being taught don't tolerate evil. Don't tolerate false doctrine. And along the way, here's kind of what happened. They had forgotten that what they needed more than anything was to keep their love alive for Christ. And it had waned. And it had slipped. And they didn't notice it. And so Christ here speaks to John to write this down, to get these to the churches and to communicate to them, don't let that happen and so he says to them there in four. but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first this word abandoned the word left means to leave to leave alone to forsake or neglect what did they do what did the church there do they didn't abide they didn't remain they didn't stay and because of that their heart and their love did not stay alive i am fully convinced that our hearts are never contented until Christ becomes our ultimate first priority, that He becomes the love of our heart. If we allow the door to be open for many other things, they will creep in and they will crowd out that. And so this church had lost its passionate love for Christ, even though they were maintaining strong doctrine. So they had lost their heart for Him. And this is so important. And I remind us, this is a love relationship that we have with Christ that is maintained by abiding and remaining in His love. They had everything right, but the most important piece, which was to love Him with all of their heart and with all of their soul and their mind and their strength and their passion and their energy and their time. They had left that out, and so their love over time had grown cold and they had lost it. And so Jesus speaks to that. How do you address that today in the room? If that's you. If that's anybody in the room this morning. If that's me this morning. And our heart and our love for Christ has grown cold. What do we do? Well, Jesus says there, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Go back to the place where it began and you remembered and you loved Christ in the beginning. He was your passion and you wanted to live for Him and you loved Him, go back to that and repent and do the things that you did in the beginning that were maintaining that relationship to be alive. Now go to your left to the book of Romans. One of the things Christ followers can wrestle with is wondering sometimes when certain things come into our lives is, Does God still love me? Or does God love me because of this? And one of the things that Paul does in Romans chapter 8 is stress that hard times come to us and that the love of God is the answer to those things in our lives. And so God removes all doubt when these moments come about His love and His care for us and our security in Him. And so I don't know who said it. I've heard it before. It's in my mind and I've never forgotten it, but let me say this before we read Romans 8. Never interpret God's love by your circumstances. Never. Don't do it. Don't interpret God's love by your circumstances, but always interpret your circumstances by God's love. That He is doing something that we would share in His holiness so that we would go to a place of deeper maturity. I hope you know this, that love is evidence more than just words. It's evidenced in what? Actions, right? We sometimes watch the middle at our house. And the husband told Frankie the other day, she's like, you don't tell me you love me enough. And he said, I told you on our wedding day, and if that changes, I'll inform you. So it's got to be more than words. But words are important. But words are expressed in action. And I want to show you just for a moment how much God loves us and security that is found in that. So there are some issues, there are some questions that come up and Paul addresses them. Romans 8, 31, follow with me please. Here's the issue. So if God is for us, Is there anybody ultimately that can be against us? That's the issue that Paul asks the question. Here's how he answers it in 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, I, okay, I get it that God's for me, but, but can anybody really be against me? No, ultimately, Paul says no. Why? Because you have been given the prize of life that is the gift of the Father's love for you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. So the issue comes up, can there any can there really ultimately, if I'm a child of God, be anybody who is against me? And Paul answers the question, no, there can't be. And here's why. You have been given something that is so beyond this world and so great that it swallows up anything. And so here's the answer to the question, no, he did not spare his son. But he graciously gave his son up for us all. And if he's willing to do that in giving his son to his people, will he not graciously give us all things? Here's the second issue, 33. Is there anybody who will bring any charge against God's elect? Is there anybody who can condemn God's people and charge them that they're beyond hope and beyond salvation? He says no, because God's done a work. God has justified His people. He's made His people right, and so no. No one can do that because God is the one who justifies. Here's the next issue. Is there anybody who can condemn? Who... Who is to condemn? Well, there's only one who condemn. Now, Satan, is, he condemns, he's an accuser of the brethren. We know that from Revelation. But ultimately, who is the one who separates the wheat from the chaff? God does. That's God's work. That's God's instruction. And so, is there anyone who can say to a child of God, God's done with you. You've done too much. You've frustrated Him too much. You're not disciplined enough. You don't abide enough. You don't pray right. You're this. You're that. Who does that sound like? Does that sound like God or someone else? Sounds like an enemy, right? And so listen, who is to condemn? Well, He gives the answer. Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God and is not condemning us. What does it say He's doing? Say it out loud. What is He doing? He's interceding. You mean the one who's going into the Father, pleading our case, saying that He loves us and interceding for our behalf? He's going to now condemn us? No, He's not going to do that. So the answer to the question, who is to condemn? Well, only Christ can do that, and, and for His people, what is He doing? He is interceding for His people. And then here's the big issue. Is there anything in the world including ourselves, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. 35, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's the answer. The issue is, can anything separate us? Here's the answer. So shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Praise His name. Look at 37. No, 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 no. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who what? What did He do? He loved us. He loved us. One of the greatest sentences, Paul was great at, let me just write a really long sentence. He's great at that. Look at this long sentence. For I am certain That death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things even to come that we don't even know of, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Run to the love of God for us. Climb to it. Crab walk to it. Go go through whatever. Get back to Jesus. I don't feel motivated. Well, be like the man that we read about a few weeks ago in Mark. Remember the man whose son was demon-possessed and is being thrown into the fire? And Jesus asked him, do you believe I can do this? And he says, I want to believe, but will you help my unbelief? If you feel today, my my love for Jesus is just barely there, then you just say to Him, Lord, help me get right again with You. And get back to Him. Because when you and I think that He doesn't love us, we will never be motivated to love Him back. Never. But when we know, listen to this, when we know (laughs) unbelievable how messed up we can be in moments of our lives, that His love does not waver in that moment. And we get it, and it begins to resonate. It never moves us when we understand His love to ever just do what we want to do because we can ask for forgiveness. When we get that we are loved, we are deeply motivated to love Him back. And so He tells us here, Abiding will keep us in and aware of His love. Let's look at the 11th one. Abiding in His love is aided by keeping the commandments. So look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This is the third time He has said that He. He said it in John 14, 15, and 14, 21, and now in 15, 12. And so Jesus just plainly states, to abide in his love, you must keep his commandments. So the flip side of that is this, is not abiding in his love. We are not abiding in his love when we're living in disobedience to his commandments. And I know at times this can be the case in our lives when things aren't going well. I know this can be the case for me. I find it easier to trust and obey the commandments rather than when difficulties arrive. And I still cannot fathom Abraham's obedience when in his old age God said, take the heir of the promise and take him up the mountain and sacrifice him. And he got up the next morning or on that morning and this beautiful prophetic picture, he places the wood on Isaac's back. Guess who else carried wood one day? messiah did and they walk all the way all the way to the point where he lays his son down on the altar and he's tied him up and he's going to go all the way i can't fathom that kind of obedience and isaac's like father where's the sacrifice because it kind of looks like i am and abraham in faith just said god will provide I want to remind everybody in the room this morning, God will provide for His people. He will provide for His people. And so, our abiding in Christ, I can't soft-pedal this for anybody in the room this morning, including myself. Three times Jesus says to the first church starters, the first leaders of the church, if you love me, you will be marked by this. You will keep my words. You'll keep my commandments. They will flourish in your life. You will seek to know them and you will seek to live them. And as that great old hymn communicates, trust and obey, for there is no other way. We must trust and obey. So when it's tough, we trust, we obey. And we show and communicate to Him that we love Him. And so we are motivated to keep His Word. Why? Because we are loved greatly. And when we know we are loved greatly, we will live out the Word. And it will keep us remaining in His Word. And by the way, we do that because we have a great model. Did you notice what Jesus said there? This is how I lived my life here. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and remained in His love, you must do the same this word kept means that jesus kept them in the past with continuing results of keeping the commandments but how in the world do we do that how do we do that how do we how do we remain keeping the commandments how do we treasure them i want to give you an example from the life of christ Y'all remember the temptation sequence in the wilderness with Jesus, right? Three, tempt- three temptations, Satan comes and tempts him with. I, my favorite narration of that and communication of that is in Luke 4. Luke uses three words that are pretty astounding. Which, in our Western Christian mindset, where we're, Christians don't have trouble, they're not persecuted, and we live in freedom because, yay, America, and all that stuff. We just don't have trouble. In regard to persecution, we have other stuff. But listen to this. It says, Luke writes, And Jesus, full, absolutely full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert. For what purpose? To be tempted. So, he goes in. Satan comes along most likely at the end of those 40 days, hungry, tired, thirsty. Hey, Jesus, look at those rocks. I know you're hungry. You've got the power. Turn them into bread. He doesn't say, have you not read? But he says, it is written. In other words, I have read. I know this. I know this to be true. I read what the Bible says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes. Hey, Jesus. Hey, once you go to the temple, climb up to the highest part of the temple and just throw yourself off because he'll send his angels to catch you. He says, I read, it's written, I've read it in the word, that you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And in each instance, he reminded the enemy that he had read something. Listen, church. Reading the Word of God is absolutely critical to every one of our lives. If you do not read the Word, when Satan comes knocking, and he's going to come knocking at about 1 o'clock today, it's what he does. And if we don't know, we cannot, we don't need to talk to him. Jesus can talk to him. We need to talk to Jesus. We're not Jesus. Talk to Jesus, not to Satan. Satan. We need to just remind ourselves, I have read that it is written, this is how I must live my life. And when we read, we remain. We will will be more prepared to remain in the Father, in the Son, in the Spirit, and in the words of God. And when we read and we remain, we will resist and we will... Ultimately, live as Jesus lived in righteous living as He did. So notice what he says there. If you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love. And the reason is this, because I've been your model. I've kept my Father's commandments. And because I've kept my Father's commandments, men, I have remained and abided in my Father's love. Now listen to this. So Jesus, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, not to a place of comfort, to the wilderness, to fast for 40 days where he was tempted. And then I love how that sequence ends in Luke 4. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. What did Jesus experience in the wilderness? He shared in the holiness and the righteousness of his Father. And it prepared him and equipped him for the days ahead of ministry and eventually leading all the way to the cross. What kind of love is this that we are loved with that we are asked to remain in? It is eternal, it is faithful, it is sacrificial, not selfish. It is full of mercy, it is perfect. It is never ending and the more we obey, the more the love of God is poured over us. Again, Jesus is our example of obedience. He obeyed and the Father lavished Him with perfect love. And again, this is more evidence for us that if we will abide in Him and we will remain in Him, these incredible great promises come to us in our lives. And now let's look at the last aspect of abiding. Here's the 12th principle and it's abiding's outcome. And it's the fullness of joy. So look at 11. These things I've spoken to you, That my joy, don't miss that personal pronoun, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now I'm going to ask a response question, but don't say it out loud in case you answer wrongly. (laughs) He's trying to help you. Answer it in your head. What words do you immediately think of when I say the word obedience to God? Think about that for a second. What words do you think of immediately when I say the word obedience to God? I want to put forth maybe a new one. It's not new, but one for you to consider new. Hebrews 12, 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of his father. I would like to put forth in the room this morning this idea that when we think about obedience, the word joy should be connected to obedience. So Jesus says, if you will remain in my words, and you will remain in me, and you will abide in me, and you will pray in this way in line with my name, you will remain in my love Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to gift you something with abiding's result. And abiding's result is this, is I'm going to give you the kind of joy that I had that got me through my time when I was here. I will give you my joy and not just a part of it, but I will give it to where it is absolutely full, the fullness of joy. I will give that kind of joy. You know, when the world talks about joy, the world can only talk about joy when our circumstances are going well. Things like this. When the car starts in the morning, yay God, way to go. When there's money in the bank, the world just says, okay, I'm happy. When you got a nice boss, joyful. When my kids are all well behaved and look good, that's good. When I've got good health, etc. that's all that the world can offer. Can I tell you what Christianity offers? Can I tell you what God offers? Something way better than the world's joy. And this is what God offers. Because this side of heaven has at times moments that are incredibly yucky. That's a tame word I could say. Just awful sometimes living here. The sin, the heartache, the heartbreak with death and so many other things. And here's what Christianity offers because of the glory of Christ. Christ. It offers not let the world, as long as your circumstances are going okay, the world can be joyful. Christianity and God offers this, that when the world is falling apart, there is a contentedness that when everything around me is falling apart, He doesn't fall apart because His kingdom is unshakable. And I'm connected to Him. So therefore, I'm just going to abide. I'm going to remain. No, my circumstances haven't got any better. This hasn't been fixed, but I'm going to stay connected to the one who is the rock. He is the cornerstone, and he cannot be moved. And so I'm going to hear his word. I'm going to obey his word, and I'm going to build my house on the rock. I'm not going to build my house on the sand because, the, because in life, the storms come to both houses built on the stand, sand and the one built on the rock, and only one stands. And I'm going to stay with Him. And that's what Christianity offers. The message through God that sounds like this. Romans 5.3, Not only that, but we crazy Christians rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. James 1.2, Crazy half-brother of Jesus. What is he thinking? Count it all joy, brothers, brethren. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect. Let it reach to maturity that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Crazy Peter. Loud mouth. Never understood anything. One day wrote a letter in 1 Peter 4 2 said, Hey, beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Listen to the response. But rejoice insofar as you share, here's that word again, Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice. And be glad when His glory is revealed. I tell you, over the life of ministry, I've been in some heartbreaking situations with people. That I maintain it in the moment, but get in my car and just cry over the heartbreak that's there. Not just when someone dies, but a sinful choice that has devastated a family or or some other situation like that and i am so incredibly glad that there is a day when the glory of christ is revealed that all of this heartache and this suffering and that's there it just is erased and it's exactly what peter says here that you may rejoice and be glad Because one day His glory is going to be revealed. And when His glory is revealed, we know in that moment that we are His. And that He is making all things new. And that our lives are secure in Him. And so Jesus says there, look at it again. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be you. Full. So I'm going to close with two scriptural pictures. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the talents. If you remember the parable, he gives some things to some men, and as the master he goes away. And two of the guys invest what they've been entrusted with with God. The master returns and they show that they have done something with what they have been entrusted. And twice Jesus says these words. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you've come to faith in Him. These words are for us. I want you to hear these words. There's going to come a day for all of us who know Him where we are in His presence. And He's going to say these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. We like to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because it sounds like we get the credit. Our selfishness sometimes pervades us, and we forget what he said next. You know what he said next? Enter into the joy of your master. There's going to be a day when this life is over, and we stand before him, and he will say, well done. Well done, living for me, taking the gospel to the neighborhoods and the nations. Come in. Enter into this place that I've built that's all about my joy and my glory. And it's yours. It's your inheritance. That encourages me. But I'm not there today. And my left my left hip hurts. I got hurt on the plane going to the Middle East and I haven't recovered. And you've got pains and some of us have sickness that isn't going away. So how do we live here until we hear those words? Well, I just want you to listen to this. I don't want you to turn there. I want to show you what that looks like here. So the apostles have been told over and over, quit talking about Jesus. Quit talking about Jesus. Uh We're not going to quit talking about Him. So in Acts 5, 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and Speak to the people all of the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. But when the high priest came and all those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to bring the apostles to their presence. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors but when we opened them, we found no one inside. What a great moment. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, wondering what this would come to. And at that moment, someone came and said, Look, the men whom you put in prison, they are standing in the temple. They're not list- they didn't listen to you. They're in the temple, and they are teaching the people. The captain and the, with the officers went and brought them not By force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them and said, we told you not to teach in this name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God, not men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey them. They did not like that, by the way. And so it says, when they heard this, they were rage and wanted to kill the apostles. But a guy named Gamaliel stands up and says, okay, God, stop it. Okay, if this is of God, we're going to get in the way. And we don't want to get in the way. But this is, if this is of men, who cares what these guys are saying? And so Gamaliel shares that. And so he says, this is 39, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And so this is how they responded. And when they had called in the apostles, listen to this, they beat them. They, they didn't like punch them one time. They beat them just punch after punch after punch and and beat all of them. And then they told them, hey, don't talk about this name anymore. And they let them go. Now I want to tell you about joy. And I want to tell you about abiding in the love of God and what that looks like. It looks like this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing That they were worthy, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Don't you talk about him. Well, here's what they did. Acts 5 closes with this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. That Jesus is the Christ. That's joy. That's abiding in a love that this world cannot offer. And it comes, again I want to go back to what I said earlier. It comes when we get it, I am loved by God. So therefore that doesn't free me to do whatever I want. That frees me and empowers me to love Him back. And in this room today, The response is this, let the love of God reign over us this morning. Just let it fall upon us. Whatever state you have come in here, know this, that God loves His people. And He is calling us to abide. And when we abide, we abide in His love. And we keep His commandments. And He gives us His joy. Anybody need joy? Jesus is saying, I'll give you my joy. The love of God is so great. It is so high. It is so perfect. And I cannot wait to behold His face and to see the beauty of it and the scars that show and reveal the love. And we are invited To be in that kind of relationship. Let's pray together.